It's Amber Bradley, your host for the unscripted side of LP. It's Talk LP Podcast time. All right, Talk LP Podcast time. Thanks for coming back at us. So happy you're here listening to The Hot Seat. Of course, I have a new co-host, Angie Barnes, Vice President of Sales and Marketing with NAPCO. Welcome, my friend. Thank you, Amber. Love being here. Super stoked to get in Mike Keenan to talk to, okay, President and CEO at Goodwill Industries of Greater East Bay, San Fran. You are no stranger to the loss prevention industry, although now you got the big title. Not that you, I mean, you've had big titles all along, but hey, how's it going? It's going great. It's been a, a, a really interesting experience. Yeah, so um, we're sitting here and, you know, it's almost the holiday season. Man, I think we're all a little like COVID fatigue. Who's got the COVID fatigue? So, so that's why people are tuning in to the podcast. Angie, I'm going to turn it over to you for the first question because this guy, which, wherever you end up being, has a phenomenal, very cool background. You got it. Yeah, it, it's amazing. So, Mike, hey, again, thanks again for, for spending time today. I can't keep track of your background. It's so it's so long and amazing, right? So maybe you can kind of share your history, how you started, some of the different brands you've been with, and uh, you know, kind of give us a a background of what you've been doing and and how you've done it. Absolutely. Thanks, Angie. Um, well, I actually started my career on that law enforcement path that many retail people did. And I actually worked for the FBI at the beginning of my career. Um, I actually did foreign counterintelligence work, which was kind of interesting back then, uh, handling situations with the Soviets during the Cold War, which my kids don't know what that is. Um, but we spent a lot of time trying to make sure that we were protecting our country. Um, I did that for about four years, and uh, a couple things happened, and I had an opportunity. I was recruited to go to Macy's by the then VP of Loss Prevention, John Chrisman, who was uh, quite involved in the industry in, in, in those early days back in the 70s and the 80s. Um, and it was an interesting and intriguing offer to look at retail, something I had not ever thought about. Um, but one factor was he offered me more money than I was making in the FBI. And uh, one of the things, too, the FBI was a great training ground for me. I learned a lot. Um, but it was also very regimented and very, um, you know, sort of everybody had to operate exactly the same way. And that, and I, that was a little different for me. I, I'm kind of a little bit of a loose cannon when it comes to that kind of stuff. And moving into retail, I really saw that you can make a difference in your companies. Um, and it's very different than government, but I would never trade that experience. So while in my career with Macy's, uh, I started out running a store just like most healthy people did and worked my way up and eventually became the vice president of loss prevention for what they called back then Macy's West, which was all of the Macy's that were west of the Mississippi. I did that for 16 years and I was recruited by Ross Stores, which back then was uh, kind of a startup company. And um, we had a lot less stores than they do now. Um, but it was an interesting opportunity, and um, I made a big move because Macy's had been a great learning ground for me, and I really enjoyed what I was doing. But it seemed like a new challenge um, and a new opportunity, and I took it, and Ross was just that. <laughs> it was uh, very entrepreneurial, and we were growing like crazy, and there were lots of LP challenges. 
and we're able to put in um, a lot of positive things and, and make some good inroads there. Um, and then after seven years, I moved into a different type of retail, which was Long's Drugs, which was a drug chain on the West Coast. And there I learned about things that I had not learned about before, things like drugs and alcohol and tobacco and firearms, all which have all these interesting things around them. Um, and that was quite a departure from the Macy's Ross models. Um, and then after that, um, I went to Mervyn's. I was recruited by Mervyn's, and Mervyn's had been part of Target back then for a number of years, and they spun off to some private equity group, and that private equity group recruited me, and I went over to Mervyn's, and that was a great run. Uh, sadly, though, uh, we went out of business <laughs> in 2008, and um, I was very fortunate because uh, one of the things that I think is very important as a leader is to be networking and be involved in the community, and one of those connections was Keith White, who was at The Gap, and um, he asked me if I wanted to come on board, and I was very happy to do so and get an opportunity to work with him and his team. And I ended up heading up the Banana Republic brand and, and then ultimately the Gap brand for North America. Um, and then I left in 2016 and did a little bit of consulting with a group called Tall Global, and I still do a little bit with them, um, but not so much now because a couple of years ago, uh, I became the president and CEO of Goodwill Industries at the Greater East Bay, as Amber said. <clears throat> Interesting story there. Uh, I actually was on the board of directors, and that was something that had been encouraged by GAP. Uh, they were very entrepreneurial in the way they thought about things, and one of the things that was really big for them was philanthropy, and they encouraged us to join boards. I ended up joining a Goodwill board, knew very little about the company other than you drop your stuff off there and you hope they do good things with it. Uh, but being on the board, I learned that we do a lot more. We help people. We have a mission to turn donations into jobs. Um, and anyway, I was on the board, and the CEO uh, at the end of 2018 uh, made the decision to leave the company, and the board asked me to step in as an interim because of my retail experience, and I did. And guess what? I'm still here. Yeah, that's an incredible resume. And you think about all of the different experiences that you've had, you know, drugstore, retail, federal government, you know, um, and, and even even in a retailer that went through bankruptcy, right, and, and navigating that. When you look back at your career, and, and clearly you take risks, right, calculated risks, and, and a lot of times when, you know, LP folks or anyone really sees the writing on the wall for a company, if they're going, you know, a little south, and then into bankruptcy and how they navigate that. Like what, what would you say is like the biggest risk that you took in your career that paid off the greatest? Like maybe it was that you didn't, you know, didn't know if you could do it. You didn't know if you could be the interim and now look, now look at you. Like, like talk a little bit about calculated risks and how it is applied in your career and you know what what's come out of it so our audience you know because sometimes that's scary right you're like oh this company's going down i'm on the ship what do i do and maybe maybe that's not even the example but it, when you were talking i'm like man that's scary okay well that's a great question and i think what i would say is is the biggest and most challenging decision that i made was actually moving from macy's to ross because i'd been at macy's for 16 years i was very well entrenched there Everything was going very, very well, a terrific company. Um, and Ross wanted to talk to me. And initially, I didn't even talk to them. 
but they were kind of persistent. And I ended up having these conversations with them. And, you know, I was very intrigued by what they were looking to do. And it was something really different. And that was a really tough decision to make because it was a different business model. And I was leaving sort of a comfort zone to try something that I didn't know what would happen and where it would go. But the end result was terrific because I ended up learning an entirely different business model, applying my same loss prevention techniques and tactics to a, to a different group of people in a different business model that um, I was able to show it worked. And that really taught me a lot. And from that point on, I really wasn't concerned about going to these other retailers because I understood foundationally that if you believe in your leadership style, you believe in your processes and your approaches, you can pretty much apply them to any business model. And I feel very comfortable in saying that because I was able to do it in, as you heard earlier, multiple companies. Yeah, and it's not, that's scary. It's a scary process, you know, scary risk and jump to take, especially when you've been somewhere so long, you know, and you've like established yourself and then going to a new place, you're like starting over. All right, Angie, over to you. Yeah, no, it's it's good, good, because one of the things that I know you have done successfully, because uh, I've hired a few ex Macy's people, Mike. <laughs> so I've learned, I've learned what you've done well over the years, but you've been known to take companies and really apply new global processes from an LP side and kind of redo how people think. And in doing that, how, for, you know, being an integrator, I think I may have asked you this question years ago was, how do we come alongside you as you rebuild these teams, rebuild processes, and kind of help you be that trusted advisor through those, those opportunities, right? Because I know you've done this multiple times. Um, and it's something that um, one time you shared that, you know, you always want an integrator to listen versus tell you what to do. Um, and uh, I've kept, I've tried to keep that, so... Well, thank you for remembering that. That's exactly what I was going to say, uh, because what I believe, but it really starts with you as a leader, because I am very curious. I, I love to learn, and I'm always interested in new things, even if they may not seem to be applicable to me at the time. Um, I think it's really good to have as many chess pieces on the table as you can. And so vendors, to me, from very early on, were important. And I would meet with them, even if I didn't have a need at the time. And I did exactly to the other vendors what I did with, with Angie, which is, you know, you need to listen to what we need in the business. Because I think the approach that I really bumped into a lot early on was, this is my product. It's the greatest thing since sliced bread. It's going to change your shrink. It's going to do this. It's going to do that. Um, and, and I understood that. But I needed to understand what it was, how it worked, and how it would apply to the business that I was in. And, um, and so what I would ask vendors is, is to listen and, and, and see what we do and see if that product actually fits in. And sometimes it did, and sometimes it needed modifications, but then fit in. And other times that for that particular company, it just didn't make sense. Um, but the big thing that I believe in is relationships. And because you need to develop relationships with your vendors because they truly are there to help you, but you need to set the parameters for that. And it's tougher these days because there's RFPs and everybody's looking to save money and it becomes much more um, of, a, of a process that's, that is 
more mathematical and, and financial than it is in terms of what you want to get out of it. Um, so I, I always would have conversations with my um, department that did the RFPs and say, listen, we're going to go out there, we're going to search, we're going to do everything. But at the end of the day, I have the final decision. And almost in every case, uh, I went with something that was more expensive, but I got that value back many times because we took the time to make sure that it was the right stuff and that the vendor was the right partner for us. So my advice is, um, as a vendor, is to, is to just talk to the leaders and understand what they're, what they're facing, but also educate them because sometimes they don't know the solutions that are out there. Um, and so it should be a process between education, but also listening and being there and seeing how it works. Because I can give you many examples of vendors that I didn't use in a certain company, but I met them and, and got to know their products and use them in others. Mm, great. Yeah, that's like, um, it's like a, that whole adage, get what you pay for, you know, is a big deal. Because you may, you may sacrifice the price initially, which is going to come up in the customer service later, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, Mike, let me ask you, you've held some significant roles in loss prevention um, for major retailers. Now, you know, with the, with the president and CEO title and responsibilities, what is, what are the things that you find the most different, but knowing, you know, if you're sitting in a VP seat, you are, you're at the table, you, you probably have your thumb on the financials, all these other things. What is the biggest surprise or difference for you now sitting in that president and CEO role um, that you found? Like, oh man, I didn't know I'd have to learn this or this is way different or no, nah, it's pretty much what I thought. <laughs> no, it's really interesting, Amber, because the thing that surprised me the most and, and loss prevention professionals um, will understand this is in our roles in loss prevention, if we do have a seat at the table, and, and I was very insistent on always trying to get a seat at the table, and um, because you need to know what's going on in the company. And I can be honest with you, I was in a lot of meetings where 95% of the meeting didn't apply to me at all. However, it enabled me to understand the business and be able to um, have loss prevention programs that support what the business initiatives are. But what I learned, and the biggest surprise for me is when I came into being a CEO, that because loss prevention is such a pervasive part of every business, where you know we, we're involved in discussions on everything, right? Because there's security, there's risk, there's you know protecting the buildings, but there's you know protecting processes. I mean, all those different things you get involved in. So when I got into the CEO role, I was actually pleasantly surprised that I could actually talk about pretty much almost any topic. Um, and I think, you know, I, the one thing, the one area that I did have to learn a lot about is finance, though. <laughs> My CFO has had to really help me along because financing, getting to, you know, 990s and all the different things you have to do when you're responsible for a, a company, um, it was, was a big learning to me. But understanding philosophically how to do things, I can tell you that as a loss prevention professional, you get exposed to those things and they enable you to make good decisions when you get in a more expanded role like CEO. Mm. So, so a quick follow-up and then I'll send it over to Angie. So it, it almost was like a good training ground in the fact because LP has their hands in all these different things anyway. 
Absolutely, Amber. That that was what that was the surprise to me. I mean, I was able to sit in a meeting, whether it was marketing or whether it was IT or any of those ones, and really be able to add value because I'd had enough exposure, or more importantly, ask the right questions, right? And and because I had enough exposure, I, I always say this to be dangerous, um, but at the same time, I would learn from that. Um, and again, <clears throat> I believe that a loss prevention professional that has you know, experience the types of things of, of involved with their companies can translate into these other businesses um, and and run them. And um, it, it's it's definitely um, an, a, a situation where, as you elevate into that role, you're going to have this nervousness. I mean, I'd never been a CEO before, but the confidence you get from being an LP person of of dealing with lots of difficult and challenging situations as part of your business you can really move into that role and, and be able to provide a good guiding um, direction to your, to your organization. All right, Angie, over to you. Fascinating. I am, you know, with the COVID world right now, Mike, one of the things that is interesting is, is just all the new technology. It's, it's funny because a lot of it, Amber, you know, we've talked about this on the apex uh, retail forums is, it's, it's been out there for a while, but it's kind of, it's kind of getting legs during this time. Is there any products or any technology that you're, you know, excited about or that you think is going to be, you know, a, a big change in 2021? I know curbside for a lot of people and, and retail pickups and things like that. Anything resonate with you that, that you feel like is going to be something we're going to really see pick up in 2021? You know, it's interesting because having run the Goodwill operation, which we have 28 stores, so uh, in three counties, so you know we have really faced pretty much any situation you can deal with with COVID. And and really, what I believe is is that it, it's really all about creating as safe of an environment as you can for your employees and for your customers and and for your vendors. Um, and and, and really, it's just following the basics. I mean, the things are out there, but, you know, making sure that people are social distancing, wearing masks. Uh, we spend a lot of time teaching our people about washing your hands frequently, you know, don't touch your face, you know, the things that, you know, are out there. It, it's, but, but the execution of that, you have to really stay on top of it because what happens is, especially in an environment where people are working in the back rooms, as an example, like in a Goodwill, taking donations. And, you know, that's, it's very labor intensive work. The mask tends to come down, you know, different things like that. And, and so you have to constantly be reminding people of doing those things. Um, I think that uh, from the technology I've seen uh, measuring temperatures and things like that, we haven't really gone down that path because a temperature doesn't necessarily mean that you have COVID. It's just, it's, it's an indicator. So we spend more of our time educating our employees that, hey, if you're not feeling well, you know, let somebody know, go get checked out um, because you don't want to put the people around you at risk. And, and we've been pretty successful at that. But we have had some people who have tested positive and we have response protocols. So we go and we actually disinfect the store afterwards, um, you know, to make sure that we've given it a good thorough cleaning. Uh, and that's in addition to the regular cleaning and things we do. Um, I think the other thing that in terms of the industry, it's really, we, I think people need to get creative about how to be able to do things with the controls. So for example, if you see casinos, and I've seen some pictures of casino tables where they have the plexiglass, you know, between each player, um, or you go to the grocery store for your self-checkout, and 
it's it's kind of the simple basic things that will ultimately make the difference in in, in my opinion on this and 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 consistent execution because unfortunately there's a lot of people that have different mindsets about a number of things but candidly i think this is going to be with us until the vaccine is not only available and distribute and distributed but it's also prevalent because there's a lot of talk that people aren't even going to take the vaccines because they're against them for a variety of reasons. So I think what you have to do is work within your own four walls to make sure that your group is doing the best that they can to follow those things. Makes sense. Yeah. So I want to step back just a second to the question I asked about, you know, your, your training field, right? Which is, you know, multiple uh, positions in the retail loss prevention environment. So for our audience that's sitting out there that was says, man, I would love to have that kind of career ascent, right? Where you're, you're kind of the top level of loss prevention, much like Keith White, right? Um, who we're having on the podcast uh, in January. But, um, you know, uh, that they kind of moved beyond just the, the four walls of LP, as much as you could say that, right? Um, for our audience that thinks that, what advice would you give them? I know you're talking about making sure you're in the meetings that, you know, may have nothing to do with you. So what would you say to that LP person that's sitting there going, oh crap, like I'm not in any meetings that have, you know, nothing to do with me because maybe they're not, haven't reached that level or how do people get there? How do you get into where you're like, okay, I know I'm not the VP yet, but I want to get there someday, maybe even transcend that. How do I do it? How do you get it? How do you first start opening those doors? Okay, that's a pretty complex question. So, I mean, there's a lot of answers to that. But what I believe is, is that the most important thing you can do is do the best possible job that you can do in your current role. You know, make sure that you're doing everything that's being asked of you and, um, and, and make sure that you're out there networking. And so we talk about networking in the industry and, the, and that's really important, <clears throat> but it's also really important to network within your own company um, to go and learn about people. I used to just go into other VPs or senior VPs and just say, hey, tell me about your job and how can I help you? And, and get to know them more through a networking component. Um, and it really depends on the level you're at because your question was really more about people getting there. Um, and, and I think it's really just a matter of being curious, being inquisitive and, and making sure that the people in your company know that, you know, you're somebody who is interested in learning and interested in helping the company become more successful, because if they notice that you're more likely to be recognized as you, as you move up through the company, um, and, and senior leaders will notice you. And so one of the ways that I also did that is I volunteered for a lot of things. Because you can be in meetings and they'll have like a task force to determine how they're going to handle a particular situation. I would just volunteer for those and just get involved. I would get to meet, meet a lot of new people, um, be able to hopefully add input into their project. And, and what was always interesting is because loss prevention is so unique, people are, you know, people don't go home at night and watch TV shows about ringing up on the registers. They go home and they watch shows about, you know, cops and robbers and things like that. So we already have sort of a natural interest in what we do. And so you should play on that, right? Obviously not giving away confidential information, but people are interested in what we do. And that's a good way to be able to create a rapport and develop, you know, networking. But then you can also add value if you see 
an obvious loss prevention challenge with whatever this task force is going uh, about trying to create, you can add that perspective and hopefully make it a more proactive approach. Because a lot of times I learned in my early career, people wouldn't tell you stuff and then they would do things and you'd say, well, gosh, if you told me about that, I would have given you the advice to not do it quite that way. Um, because a really important thing um, I believe is, is that there's a lot of different ways to achieve your loss prevention objectives. And so you need to understand what those are and then figure out how they fit into the conversation. And you need to be re really flexible. And that's where being an active listener um, is really important. So if you understand what they, it's no different than what I told Angie, if, if, if she as a vendor needs to learn to listen um, to, to their customers, we support our store operations and, and, and our company operations. And therefore we should be doing the same thing is understanding what's there to, there is there and then trying to find the right loss prevention fit to achieve the objective. Yeah, it's really interesting because what I found, um, you know, not having walked in the loss prevention executive shoes is that a lot of times the way an LP leader thinks is not intuitive to people that don't do that job. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. like, you know, clearly my husband is, uh, has been a loss prevention executive. And so I'll be like, Oh, well, we'll just do this. And he'll be like, well, then they're going to screw us over five, these five ways. And then I'm like, Oh, you know, I didn't think of that. You know what I mean? So it's not like I found that the LP executives mind works completely different than, I mean, in a good way, you know, than other people in the company, which I think is, if you know that it sounds like what you're saying is you can bring a totally different perspective that is helpful because most people I don't know, Angie, you're like me, right? We haven't done this, but Mike has, aren't thinking about the five or 10 different ways you're going to get messed over or, or something's not going to go right, you know? So anyway, I just kind of say that because what you said kind of spurred that in my head, like, that's true. You know, you guys as executives and LP professionals think differently, you know, and, and it adds a huge ton of value to a new project, a new initiative, you know, something else, but it's scary, right? Cause people are like, Oh, I don't know anything about that. You know, like in my career in marketing early, if I was like, Oh, I'll do it. And then I'd go right to Barnes and Noble. This is when, you know, you couldn't look stuff up on the internet. Like I'd, I'd go right to Barnes and Noble and get a book on it. You know, and the next day I'd be like, Oh yeah, crisis communication. I got that. You know, and I, you know, I'm looking through my reference guide when I was 22 years old, you know, <laughs> no, you, you're absolutely right. And, and you know, the thing is, is if you don't know something, you don't know something, and that's why you go and learn it, right? And, and people should be open to understanding that they can learn new things. But, but what I would add to what you said, Amber, is that if you get involved in these things, what I find is that if, if your executives feel that you're adding value to the conversation, um, because you're providing a perspective that they may not have thought about, which in many cases they haven't because they're focused on the customer, they're focused on driving the revenue, they're trying to do it the, in the most customer-friendly way, which is the right thing for them to do. But then our job is to make sure that we do that, what they want, but we also protect yeah. our assets, right? And so after you gain that credibility from volunteering and being involved with, with the leadership, you start getting included after that because you've added value. So if you just, if you just say, 
please invite me to your meeting, and you just sit there and don't say anything, then eventually they're going to say, well, why are you even here? Right. So you do have to participate. You do have to act as an executive and put your ideas on the table. And, um, you know, listen, a lot of times they get rejected because they're too controlling and all that kind of stuff. But you usually can find a nice compromise if you're there at the table during the back and forth. Yeah, for sure. Angie? Yeah, no, it's interesting. You know, it makes me think, too, Mike, when you talk about some of these things is is the evolution of the LP person, right? And you too, Amber, when we talk about, I think, we, you know, I have a joke around here that, you know, you better get things done because, you know, the world can change tomorrow. And we used to say, you know, the world won't change tomorrow, right? And now we're like, oh, yeah, the world can change tomorrow, right? You can shut down, like, you know, that, that doesn't work anymore. But, you know, if we, if we you know, we rewind nine months ago and we go, okay, how do we, what are we going to do? What is, what is the next nine months and a year look for, like for an LP executive? And just what are they going to have to do differently and think differently? I mean, in the sense that, again, before some of it was just, you know, I got to have equipment, I got to have video, I got to have this, I got to have, you know, figure out my shrinks, all the different things that they have to do. Um, and what is it going to look like? What do you think, Mike? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll touch quickly on what you said about uh, the evolution. And, and one of the ways I describe that is actually through education. So when I started in the industry, um, candidly, retail loss prevention was very much cops and robbers because most of the leaders in loss prevention came from law enforcement. It's pretty typical. A company needed somebody to do security, so they go and find a law enforcement person, right? Um, and so I would encourage people, many of many of the people that worked for me over the years wanted to be in law enforcement. So I, initially I was encouraging them to get, you know, a, a degree in criminal justice, right? And that makes sense. And it, and it would fit. <clears throat> and then I found as I got more involved in the business and we started to evolve as a profession, um, that I then started telling people, get a business degree because we're all about business. And eventually you'll, you'll learn the loss prevention aspects through working in the department. We'll train you. You'll understand all investigative techniques, things like that. But if you want to be a leader someday, get a business degree because at the level, when you're at the vice president and above level, you're really much more of a business executive with an expertise in loss prevention than just a loss prevention person. Um, but going to the future, Angie, what I see is um, technology. I mean, people need to get very educated on technology because that's where everything is going, right? And so, you know, we're, we're closing down bricks and mortar stores, uh, although I've, I'm confident they'll still be around, but the majority of stuff is becoming technolo technology-based. So towards the latter part of my career, I was actually telling people to get IT experience along with business experience because look at what we do. I mean, all of our camera systems use AI and stuff like that now, right? Whereas yeah. before it was just, you know, plug in the VCR and record and then drive out to the store in the middle of the night and look at the tape and see what you found, right? And we went to, you know, remote monitoring and then, and, you know, we've got, I'm very excited about the things that are happening with AI <clears throat> in terms of how we can get syncing built into our exception reporting systems, into our video systems, because because companies are doing more with less, we all hear that. We all hear you want to work smarter, not harder. But actually, technology has always been the key to making that happen. 
and and as things have become more networked and and you look at the ability to remote monitor all your stores right and 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 then you build into that intelligence into looking at all of that video as opposed to just staring at it that can pop up on your screen and say you need to go look at this store because last night something happened that was an anomaly and that's coming from the technology that's being developed in terms of of the the you know whether it's ai or whether it's analytics whatever you want to call it but we're going to go to ai and when we get there it's going to be telling us what we need to do and and that's really where you want to be because you're going to have less resources uh, everyone will and how do you use them the most efficiently and if technology can help you with that so think of getting up in the morning, and this already exists, but think of getting, when you get up in the morning and the investigator push, pushes a button and it says, based on exception reporting, this person rang a, a suspicious transaction, you know, at 845 last night. And by the way, here's the video clip. And it's all right there. And you make it really user friendly because, as we all know, in the, you know, the traditional days, that was all done, you know, manually and searching. And, you know, yes, you had some parameter reports and median reports and things along those lines and exceptions, but that can all be done with technology. So the more that our new professionals learn about technology, it's going to infiltrate everything that they do. Interesting. Yeah, that's a really good comment. And I know, you know, Angie, we talk about all the time that one of the things that this COVID thing has brought to light is this life cycle management, right? And I know Anavco you guys were really on top of that. And, and it was, it was, I think we were interviewing Starbucks or something last apex and they were talking about, you know, you guys helping them with their life cycle management. And, and Mike, is that one of the things, um, and then I'll throw it over to Angie for the last question, but is that one of the things just as a quick follow up on the technology thing that, that you guys have found is that, you know, when all of this happened and then you're talking about monitoring a donation center, right? Where, you know, you read the news that now everyone's stuck at home. So they're cleaning out their closets and then are dumping it on your property, which isn't exactly donating. Dumping isn't donating, right? right. So then you had to, to, to really look at that. And, and, you know, you think about if you guys wanted to be able to monitor that and you weren't set up for it, or you hadn't managed your life cycle appropriately, you're kind of, you know, SOL. No, you're, you're right. And, and I think taking that line of thinking, one of the other things that I would put on the table is, is that when you have technology and loss prevention, share it, share it with your company, because like remote monitoring, for example, you know, don't just keep it within loss prevention. Let other areas of the business use it. You gave a great example there, Amber, of like that could be something that facilities does, right? They look remotely to see where they have to go and clean up where people have dumped overnight. Um, and that happens quite frequently, unfortunately. Um, but, but by giving technology, I, like an example I can give you from, you know, a, a few of my retailers once remote monitoring became more um, prevalent, was I would give it to the merchandising people, for example, and then they would be able to go and look and see if all their stores were set according to the directions that they gave based on a seasonal program or things along those lines. And, and really, when you think about store managers, <clears throat> we, we would train store managers, and, and we do here, to use, remote, you know, use your video as an extension of your leadership. And so you can't be in your store all the time. 
But if you are gone on a day and you come back in the next day and you quickly look at video, you don't want to spend all your time in the back room, but you quickly look at video and kind of see what happened. The lines might have been too long. Maybe they didn't handle the back room the way they should or whatever. Don't go in and, you know, be angry about it. Just go in and treat it like you would if you saw it when you were there. And what ends up happening is, is that the people that are working there realize that as a manager, you're knowing what's going on when they're not not there. there. Yeah just as much as when they know when they are there. And then that extension of your leadership um, is done through the combination of the video, but then in how you take it to the floor. And if you take it to the floor in a positive way and say, listen, you know, the lines got a little long yesterday. Why did we not, you know, get some extra help up there or whatever and just get an answer, but you're imprinting in them that you're monitoring what they're doing the entire time the operation is working. So that that's where I think when you think, talk about using technology, one of the ways that you can get more technology is if you're going into a budget meeting and you want to get more equipment, say, for example, but now you have the marketing people and the merchandising people and the facilities people saying, we need this too. All of a sudden, that check that's needed to purchase that stuff becomes easier to get because it's a value add and it's not just LP equipment. Yeah, those are great points. All right, Ange, wrap us up here, lady. Amen. I love that. I love that. It's true. Get more budget. It's all we always used to joke. LP guys always want it, but we got to figure out how they can pay for it. And the more people you can do that, it's always better. Um, uh, so how, how does a vendor help you with your backswing, Mike Keenan? That's the real question. So, I mean, you know, we didn't really talk about the whole golf game here, but, uh, you know, uh, you know, how, how does, how does that work? Two pro you? golfers, by the way, guys, if you're not, if you're not familiar, Angie and Mike can swing a set. My my coach is a Keening Classic every year, so uh, you know it's 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 uh, it's epic. Well, thank you for that. Yeah. So, yes, we, we I have a family tournament. My my dad passed away in 1994. He's the one who taught me how to play golf, and my brothers. And it's been something that, quite candidly, has given me many experiences over the years of being able to play golf in other countries and amazing golf courses. Uh, but most importantly, with 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 good people. Um, so we've been doing this tournament where um, my brothers and I we we host it and we have some you know people choose around twenty twenty five people, uh, but we go to different venues usually somewhere in the desert and we play like four rounds of golf and it's really fun and it's in memory of of my dad which is nice. Um, but to answer your question, for me, I learned this from my dad. My dad was a salesman. He worked um, and sold glass bottles for a national. Um, a company that made glass bottles, sold a lot of wine bottles, things like that. And he would tell me that most of his deals, he settled on the golf course. And uh, you heard that growing up. And what I found is, is when I, uh, when I talked earlier to you guys about relationships, relationships are professional, but this golf is a great opportunity to get out and spend some personal time with people and get to know them a little better. And there are many people, uh, Jim Lee's probably one of them, that would say that you learn a lot about a person when you play around to golf with them. And um, so we, so I really have lived that. So um, I enjoy playing golf. Um, vendors are usually kind enough to say, let's go out and get a round in. Uh, we do it appropriately through company guidelines um, and we get out and we talk and we talk. I mean, we, I get to, I get to, we get, it's a developmental of the, you know, be able to develop the relationship, but I also ask a lot of questions and I learn about products and things like that. And it's a, it's a much more 
um, conducive environment, at least for me, to be able to learn about the relationship I'm developing with the vendor. Um, and it's a, an uninterrupted time for, for me. It's, you know, it's not 30 minutes in the office where the person has to give you their spiel. It's an opportunity to really talk things through. So I have had many very beneficial conversations with vendors on the golf course. Um, and, you know, that comes from the tournaments we have too, you know, with NRF and, and the LP foundation golf tournaments where we play together is in, and, you know, vendors and, and, and practitioners together. Um, and I think it's a really important part of the networking component uh, of being in our industry. Yeah. So if you're out there though, and your vendor that's playing with you or even a fellow person's using the foot wedge, <laughs> right? The foot wedge, which is, if you're not a golfer, that means you kick the ball with your foot because you don't like where you where it landed. That might be a problem. That might be what Jim Lee is referring to. If they're using the foot wedge, that might be a problem. I don't know. <laughs> well, first, let me thank you, Mike, for coming on and uh, sitting in the hot seat with my co-host, Angie Barnes. And thank you so much for NAVCA or for sponsoring this podcast. But we really appreciate you, Mike. That's um, You've given uh, the audience a lot of meat to think about, um, especially from your, your seat now as president and CEO. Uh, so we really appreciate it. Thank you very much, Amber and Angie. I truly enjoyed it. Thank you. Awesome. All right. So we'll see you as a co-host later on. That's it's a awesome. deal. <laughs> All right, cool. Thanks so much for watching. You can always follow us at Let's Talk LP on Twitter. And don't forget to download the latest Talk LP news app with all the breaking headlines in the palm of your hand. That's it, guys. We'll see you later. We out. Cause, cause, cause no one can do it like we do it, like we do it, like we do it. Cause no one can do it like we do it, like we do it, like we do it.